from the empire of lies, bringing you a diversity of opinion, factual truth, and a great conversation. This is a show that is an oasis of free speech in the vast barren wasteland that is the new world order. This is a backstory. Is it cool down in Philly at all, Rod? Or wherever you are? East Coast? No, it's still, it's still pretty humid. It was actually raining uh, about an hour ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it, the heat seems to be keeping up, and hopefully Joe Biden's not going to introduce more legislation to take care of it. He's not going to because he's not going anywhere. You you heard about that, right, Rod? Of course, it's a big story in the country. Is the president of the United States has taken ill with COVID-19 despite being vaccinated. I think he said 57 boosters. Am I right, Rod? My number's a little uh, off there. Uh, his press secretary said he's been vaccinated twice and boosted twice, so that's four. So let me ask. Well, I'll talk about it with you in a second because I'm a little confused by it. But let me talk about who's on the show today. In about 10 minutes, Robert Bridge coming straight at you from Moscow. That's in Russia. So we're bringing you, bring you a lot of the current Russia-Ukraine news and also help you gain a deeper understanding of Russia. That's what we're going to do. You'll see. And what it's like to live there. Because... People are so lied to about just everything about Russia. Have you noticed that, Rod? The war's made very clear, but everything you hear about Russia, even how the economy's doing, you would think Russia has an economy. It's, I would think, before I knew better, that if I went over there, it would be like the 80s. Everyone would be walking around with big cell phones and cassette players, right? Did you get that impression, Rod? Yeah, I think I think uh, Hollywood has definitely uh, done a, done a good job on people's minds to think what Russia is like uh, current and present day. And I think I'll talk about Robert Bridge, whether that's a misconception, and if it is, I think it's hurt us. We underestimated Russians' military, and we underestimated Russia's economy. Do you agree, Rod? The United States, not not you and me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were talking about, like, you... No, but, yeah, the United States and the people in, in charge, yeah, for sure. No, God forbid us, not us. Those other knuckleheads in government, the people spending billions of your dollars, billions of them, to pointlessly send weapons to prolong a conflict. But we'll talk about that with, with Robert Bridge coming up. And the second hour, the great Jamal Thomas from Fault Lines with Chan and Thomas. And it's always fun to talk to Jamal. And I want to talk to you in general about what's going on on the progressive left. Because have you heard of Jimmy Dore? Rod, of course you've heard of him. The comedian Jimmy Dore? Yeah, yeah, I've heard of Jimmy. Have you heard Door 24 that he's considering running for president? Uh, no, I didn't hear about that. So, we'll talk to Jamal about that. Jimmy Door is one of what I would call 
the alt-progressive media's A-listers. Do you see what I'm saying? These alt-progressive media, like mainstream progressive media, is, I would say, Maddow. Would you agree? Rachel Maddow is mainstream progressive media. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. She's only as progressive as the mainstream part lets her be. But still, she's pretty progressive. She's She colors within the lines that the establishment lets you. But she's so progressive. And then there's the alt-progressive media. They're the people who can't get on Rachel Maddow. People like Glenn Greenwald, Max Blumenthal, Matt Taibbi. Agreed? Yeah, I'll agree with that. Yeah, so, and, and Jimmy Dore. People who are have a big audience and are progressive, but probably don't reflexively hate Russia. So they're kicked out of the club. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah I agree with that, Lee. I agree with that 100%. And they were almost to a person correct about Russia Gate because they didn't buy the Russia lie. That's what threw them out of the club and made them uh, progressive journalists with cooties, apparently. And unlike what Dr. Fauci says, circle, circle, dot, dot, now you don't have a cootie shot, so watch out. And we're taking your calls today, 202-521-1320. This is The Backstory. Of course, everyone's nervous about Joe Biden, but, you know, having COVID-19, but very few people are admitting it. But the guy's old. Right. He is prime. If something bad were to happen to someone, God forbid, because they got COVID. Is Joe Biden in that, you know, he's the age where anything, if he gets the sniffles, anything at all is bad for him. Right, Rod? Yeah. When he fell off his bike, uh, you know, you know, I, I immediately noticed he didn't brace himself. He just fell over. He was still holding those to his uh, bike handles you know, that's a person who's losing their reflexes, Lee, even, you know, even while he's losing his balance, most people kind of like try to brace themselves. He could have hit his head, broke his hip, and that would have, you know, could have been it. It's also, I hate to tell you, Rod, but uh, when you get to that age, and I can only imagine, because I'm 25 years younger or so than him, and it's already rough, you start thinking about life differently, and you start thinking, well, if I go, will it be worth it? Is that okay? So perhaps when his bike was falling over, he thought to himself, why try? Why why let it go? Do you see what I'm saying, Rod? Yeah, no, I agree with you, Lee. But then you see his immediate reflex when he got up was he immediately found a little girl, and that's what made him spry up and, you know, start talking to this little young girl. The smell of shampoo in his hair. Now, that story about him having COVID is raises, honestly, now I'm going to raise what seems like a philosophical question. What is COVID? What I mean is, it seems like the disease now that people are getting, that they're calling COVID. And I know it's not a disease, but whatever it is. What COVID is now doesn't seem like what COVID was, say, a year and a half, two years ago, Rod. I don't know. I don't see people talking about the hospitals are going to fill up with people and they're all on ventilators and everything. It seems now like COVID is like I had it 
and it was mainly sniffles, low-level flu, and I mean really low-level flu. Am I missing something, or does this COVID seem really different than what we were sold at first? Rod? Uh, COVID, as we know it now, is a huge umbrella, Lee. You could uh, put anything under it and say you have COVID, and uh, a lot of people won't question you, you know what I'm saying? Um, So... Um, I don't know what's going on with uh, President Biden. Like you said, he is an elderly man. Um, uh, before, you know, if you if you think about it, uh, Kareem Pierre Jeff uh, Pierre was asked about her uh, about President Biden not having any uh, public meetings or doing anything. His whole uh, his day was wiped clean. He wasn't doing anything for two days straight. And she just said, "Well, you know, uh, you know." He's, he's, he's a busy man and et cetera, et cetera. So she pretty much, so then now that's three days later, which is today, now he has COVID. So it's three days. We haven't seen him in the public. We don't know what's going on. Now, but, but I got to say, and I'm going to do this sensitively because I'm a sensitive person, Rod, you know that. But uh, I can't imagine some people around the DNC, given Joe Biden's low approval numbers and with elections coming up, Art calling other people they know at the DNC going, did you hear about the big guy? Yeah, COVID-19. It should be a shame if he had to drop out because of this. Right? Can you picture that, Rod? A lot of excited people, but they can't express their excitement outwardly. It's like if you don't like your mother-in-law and she gets sick. Still, it's your mother-in-law. So you can't say, good, I'm glad she's sick. You have to say, oh, do you understand what I'm saying, Rod? Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying, Lee. And yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that. You know, uh, there's a lot of people. I mean, we just had Van Jones come out today and say that uh, black people are doing so bad under this inflation. And it wasn't like this before uh, President Biden came in office. I can't believe some people would be very happy. Oh, it'd be too bad if uh, if anything happened to him. I'm not saying, I, of course, I want him to recover as soon as possible. But it would sure be complicated for a party, wouldn't it, if we suddenly had to fill out slot? You, you see what I'm saying? I can picture those conversations happening on DNC private numbers on people's iPhones over lattes in the robos. So, because uh, the, they sold a Tesla. Is the Tesla no longer the hip liberal car? It can't be. Uh, I still think it is, Lee. Uh, I think they disassociate uh, Elon Musk from Tesla, and they just, you know, electric car. Now, at the risk of sounding douchey, because it does, the first Tesla I saw was back when I wrote for the Huffington Post. True story. The first Tesla I ever saw was an Obama victory party I went to that was invited to by film director, writer Adam McKay. He's Will Ferrell's partner. And Adam, who invited me to this party, see, it already sounds douchey, right, Rod? But I can't help it. It's a true story. So McKay invited me to this party, and he had one of the early ones that were, they look kind of like an NSX or, a, a, you know, the real sports car looking ones. Remember that first generation of Teslas, the really expensive ones? Yeah, I remember, I remember that, Lee. That was a cool-looking car because it really did look like a nice—it had nice lines, shall we say. It was not trying to be a consumer price sedan. That was a sexy sports car, electric car. Am I being accurate, Rod? 
No, it was definitely unique when it when it came out. You know, it was something like uh, it was real exclusive too. Not a lot of people had it, so it was a, a thing a lot of people wanted. Well, and that's why I noticed it because at the restaurant in West Hollywood, the where the Obama victory parade was, uh, McKay, they had valet parking, of course, and uh, McKay parked his on the street, so his car, his NSX, was parked curbside. Now, there's only one reason you do that, right, Rod? It's not because you don't like walking. It's because you want everyone to see your car, right? Yeah, you know, people do that when uh, you go to the club. You know, you want to be parked right there so everyone sees your car. Yes, and he did that. And I I get it because it was really and, – and so for, at that point, it was the hip liberal car that was the go-to – the cool car, right? Particularly among media people. And I'll bet with the way Elon Musk has been demonized in the establishment liberal media, I'll bet you can't brag about your Tesla sports car anymore. I'll bet, oh, oh, really, you buy that Musk thing? Yeah. Do you, are you afraid you'll catch free speech from it? But it's got to be on the outs. Does that make sense, Ron? Um, maybe, you know, I still see, I still see it a lot on the road. Uh, I live near one, so, uh, a Tesla dealership. So, you know, uh, I don't, I haven't had to stop and talk these conversations with the people who own them, but you might be right. Yeah. It just seems to me liberals treat inanimate objects as though they have magical powers. See their policy on guns, for instance. Wait, 2251-1320, real quickly, Ingrid in DC. Sorry, I kept you waiting. Okay, if I have to be quick, I'll skip Julian Assange and, and go right to Russia. I I heard some people earlier talking about this okay. alleged uh, second front that these anti-Putin Chechens are going to open, and it, this is completely absurd. Uh, if they're try, you know, they want to have an independent Chechnya. How are they going to do that? I mean. They're, are they going to fight the leader of Chechnya? If you uh, think Moscow is modern, go and look at how Chechnya has has been rebuilt. It's it, it's really fabulous, and um, it, you know if 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 these Chechens wind up being among the insurgents that are trying to make little sabotage attacks, well, that's just another thing. But but this whole idea that they're going to mount some kind of a second front. Where would where would the front line of that front be? That's ridiculous. They just float things sometimes that are bad ideas, and that they have no intention of doing. And, and that I a lot of their military suggestions. We say see this with a million man army, but let's go to Moscow, Russia, and talk to Robert Bridge right after a short break on the backstory. Backstory. I'm Lee Stranahan, and we're on the radio at 105.5 FM AM 1390. Joined now from Moscow, Russia, by the great author and writer and analyst 
Robert Bridge. Hey, Robert, how you doing? Hi, Lee. I'm fine, thank you. How are you doing? Good. Welcome to the show. Good to talk to you again. How are, how's the weather over? Is it still the heat wave in Europe has not hit Russia yet? A couple of days ago, we had Marshall Boat on. He said it was just a nice summer day. Uh, yeah, the uh, climate change hasn't hasn't really hit this place too much, to, to be quite honest. We have a few days, you know, when I, when I complain a bit, but then I hear what the temperatures are elsewhere in the world, and uh, it doesn't seem so bad. So we're we're we're, we're making do. Well, 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 good, good. Glad the weather's not too bad for you because they have weather that's, you know, 104 in England and no air conditioning. And I'll I'll stop on that for a second and point out that to me, no air conditioning seems somewhat primitive. When I hear that about a country, I go, that's not a strong economy. And I'll transition because I want to ask you about whether America and Americans have the wrong impression of the Russian economy. Rod and I were talking. We're both not reflexively anti-Russian or anything. But this image we have from movies and from American media is a Russian technology. It's not like it's not like they're cavemen, but it's like 80s and 90s technology. Like if someone offered to show me his computer in Moscow, it'd be a Nintendo, and he's listening on his Walkman. That that kind of technology. But that is a misconception, is it not, Robert? You 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 live there. What's it like? It, it's an absolute misconception. Uh, to tell you the truth. I've, I've lived here for a number of years, and because you know I, I grew up in the West in America, and my stereotypes were so deep, deeply ingrained. Uh, even for me, being here and seeing it with my own eyes, it's hard for me to believe it. Uh, but uh, I mean, the Russian economy, number one, it's booming. You see, I'm, I'm living in the far south of, of Moscow, almost towards another town, and uh, you know, down here, you know, if you want to just base it on pure material goods okay you see people driving around in their mercedes and their nice car i mean everybody you know when i first moved here many many years ago everybody was driving their old junky uh you know russian ladas or whatever beat up cars and uh a mere 20 years later you don't see those cars almost at all you see all foreign cars uh expensive cars um you know just basing it on that you have shopping malls everywhere um it, it, the list goes on. Anything that you have in the West, you've got here. And this is, I'm not just talking about Moscow. You know, I've been all over Russia and um, Nizhny Novgorod, for example, uh, different places. And the same thing. You, you see this level of, of uh, uh, wealth. And, you know, and, and you talked about the technology. Do the Russians have this? Do they have that? Yes, they have all the top top goods. Uh, you know, the West isn't the only supplier of these goods. If they can't get it from the West, they'll get it from the Asian markets, whatever they need. So, uh, yeah, they're very up to date with, with everything. And the economy, to tell you the truth, despite all the sanctions, it's I'm not noticing anything at all here. I'm, I know personal stories of people who have lost their jobs, uh, you know, and nobody, you don't, you just don't see it though. You don't, you don't feel like there's any sort of, uh, any sort of problems out of the ordinary here. So, yeah, it's been pretty remarkable. Well, and it's important because if, you know, Russia, Crimea voted to rejoin Russia, 
and did so in 2014. And a lot of those people in Crimea have relatives who live in Russia, might live in Moscow, St. Petersburg, out in the country. Right, Robert? Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Definitely. And so because they had family, if they if the family in Russia asked him, how's it been since you voted to rejoin Russia? People in Crimea would say, it's been nice. The economy's better. Right? They built this great big bridge. Everyone I've seen who lives in Crimea, when I see videos with them on YouTube, they say it's better under Russia. Is that what you've heard from Crimeans, Robert? Uh, well, um, it, the, the situation there is a bit tricky because, uh, I mean, Crimea was predominantly Russian to begin with, but many Russians. So uh, they they felt, I think there's always been this a bit of an antagonism between uh, Crimea and the mainland Ukraine. Um, and then they saw the the government just become degraded. They saw they saw this uh, neo-Nazi wave sweep across Ukraine, radicals. Uh, so I think that was the last straw. And they just said, you know, I don't think at the time they were probably thinking too much about, you know, this is going to boost our, li- our, our livelihood, our economy and everything. I just think they wanted to get the heck out of uh, out of Ukraine. But now that they have, yeah, they've, they've noticed that Russia has poured money into their finances. Uh, as you said, they, they put the, the bridge there to the mainland Russia now. Um, schools, hospitals, clinics, everything has improved dramatically. So, yeah, that's yeah, you're definitely right that uh, Crimeans are, are very happy now that they joined. And even at the time, you know, when they did join, it's, it should be remembered that there was no invasion from Russia. It was a vote. The Crimeans voted to get the heck out of Ukraine and uh, in a referendum. And it was like 97% of the people who, who turned out voted to join Russia. It was not like somebody held a gun to their head. They, they really wanted to get up. They have other referendums coming up in Ukraine. And uh, the reason I raise how things went in Crimea is it doesn't speak, isn't it the best advertising Russia can give for why they should join with Russia is Crimea is what happened with Crimea after they rejoined Russia. It's a strong reason, I think, for people in other regions that are about to vote, to vote to rejoin Russia. What do you think, Robert? Well, I don't think there's so many, so many regions that, you know, that want to, that are about to join Russia. I I mean, uh, right now, you know, it's, it doesn't, Russia has no stated intentions of taking, or for example, other, other places to, make them join russia but uh yeah it's a, it does say a lot about about the ability of russia to uh and it says a lot about their economy too that they're able to take take uh take in uh, hundreds of thousands more people to take in this particular territory and rebuild it and and uh still its own economy is going very strong and uh so yeah it says a lot about the versatility and power of, of russia and lavrov did an interview with rt I think that came out yesterday, where he said, basically, any land we've taken Ukraine is not going back to Ukraine. It's going to be part of Russia. So I'm just extrapolating by what method it gets there. And I assume there'll be referendums because they seem to like having the consent of the government. Uh, No, it's just that the, the, 
right now the focus is on the Donbass. So uh, yeah, that that's quite possible that over time that could end up to be Russian territory. If you know if they do decide to hold referendums and let let those people decide what they want to do. Uh, you know, right now I think Russia's main goal was to, like they say, denazify. Uh, Ukraine, get rid of the, the neo-Nazis there. Russia had a long, terrible history against Nazism and Nazi Germany. Uh, so for them to be battling against something like that right on their border, that's that's priority number one. And I think after that, then they'll start talking about, uh, who, what, you know, who's going to take, who's going to have what and, and how they're going to hold the referendums to see uh, where they're going to go. Yes. I, I just, I, I think that since you already have Ukrainian Crimeans, I've seen there's a very good documentary on YouTube that the BBC made, and it looked at people five years after the Madan. And BBC's not a pro-Russian outfit, as you may have noticed. And they said the people they interviewed all said it's better. And they said some of them said I wasn't in favor of it at first. I didn't particularly want to rejoin Russia, but I've got to admit, it's been much better. And I took it when a hostile documentary shows happy people, that's probably happy people there. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know uh, quite a few people there and they all say the same thing, that it's just the, the changes have been remarkable and and they're they're, they're very happy. Now. A general question I wanted to ask you about the Russian people, because, you know, now, now how long have you lived in Russia? Uh, over 20 years now. So over 20 years. OK, so that's enough time for you to clearly really get a deep sense of people. My experience, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm buttering them up too much, but I think the war and the economy and the way that Europe, for instance, treated the sanctions and the U.S. treated the sanctions versus Russia and shows a big difference. Do you, am I right in sensing that the Russians are more realistic than Americans broadly? That's just a sense I get, that they accept reality as it is and don't let, again, everyone's affected by advertising or whatever. But do you think they're more realistic when assessing situations, Robert? Uh, well, they, yeah, they are very much grounded in, in reality. And uh, they've had the, uh, many, uh, quite a beautiful, brutal history. Uh, so yeah, they take things at face value. And um, I, yeah, I, I'd have to say, I'd, I'd have to say, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that uh yeah, they're they're very realistic, and uh, yeah, I, I really don't know how else to answer that question. No, no, that's good. It's the truth, what you're telling, uh, just because I want people to get a sense, because some of that stuff affected things that we've all seen the results of in this war. For instance, Zelensky doing his nightly talks and basically admitting last night he doesn't care about how it affects the people of Germany, but he doesn't want the sanctions lifted even for a second to fix a turbine that's in Canada if it helps the German people. And he was 
openly saying, I don't care if it hurts. You should be prepared to make sacrifices in Germany for Ukraine. And I'm sure a lot of Germans don't agree, but the government's going along with Zelensky. And as we're seeing in places like Sri Lanka and places like Germany, uh, which is in league with the Dutch farmers, people are starting to rise up. And did you see that conference Putin spoke at today? Uh, I've heard of it. I didn't get to read too much on it. Well, one thing he said in the headlines is he almost, I'm not going to quote it, say the exact phrase, but he talked about worldwide revolutions, something I've been talking about this show for a couple of weeks. We're obviously in a point where I'm seeing citizens, Sri Lanka being the most obvious blatant one, acting up and very much doing uh, what seems like an organic coup. Have you noticed that sort of worldwide revolution, Trevor, and what do you think is going on? Well, first of all, I do agree that uh, Zelensky, he's de definitely out of touch with reality. Uh, you have to question the, the leaders of the Western countries, though, who are letting him do this, letting him speak uh, to their own, you know, congresses and parliaments and in front of the United Nations. And just they give this guy uh, who's really he really lacks legitimacy. I mean, he was a, let's face it. He was a comedian before he got into his position. He was an actor. He had zero political experience except for the fact that he played a president on a Ukrainian uh, TV series. So the fact that they're giving this guy any airtime whatsoever to lecture to their people and to have him make demands to, you know, like you're saying, for the Germans to suffer in order to send more money, more weapons or whatever, and they don't care about their own people. Uh, this is this is just outrageous. And uh, the, the fact that the, these Western countries are letting him get away with it. It's just, it, it's to me, it's it's the most insane thing imaginable. Uh, so yeah, they really need to, to to think about that because if they don't, yeah, they will have world revolutions. You're gonna have you're gonna have these countries rising up, and uh, the funny thing is they're gonna they're gonna blame Russia. <laughs> they're not gonna blame Ukraine. They're not gonna blame their stupid leaders for. Uh, letting letting Zelensky push them around and make demands on them and appeal to their sense of you know virtue signaling and political correctness and all this other bullcrap, uh, they're going to blame they're going to come out and blame Russia, um, and you see that it's working in some case in many cases it's not though you know they're trying to blame high gas prices for example on Vladimir Putin and a lot of people are just laughing about it. so that's going to only get them so far but. Um, yeah, I absolutely agree. If, if, if something isn't done, you're going to see revolutions across the planet. They're already starting to happen. Uh, so, yeah, they got to nip this in the bud somehow. But not everyone's unpopular. And I, I wonder if you have any thoughts on this thought that I had today. I can think of two leaders who are popular with their people. Vladimir Putin, who's at above 80 percent, last I heard. And it's still around there if, if, if it's changed. There's been no big shifts. He's still very popular, right, Robert? Oh, yeah, it's extremely popular. Absolutely. So, so at a time when Draghi finally resigned today, but Boris Johnson, leaders are very unpopular world over, all over Europe, 
in the United States, Biden's got an unbelievably low approval rating. But two people, Biden, uh, forgive me, Putin is a popular leader and Viktor Orban in Hungary, a different kind of leader and different politics, but very popular. And here's what occurred to me, Robert. Both Putin and Orban did something about 25, 30 years ago. They threw George Soros out of their country. And I wonder if one of the things that the Soros manufactures is when he gets into a country, he starts to make their leaders unpopular because the places he's got strength, their leaders aren't popular. But when he's not in a country and there's no one running interference, Putin and Orban are very popular, and they both ban Putin. What is my crazy conspiracy theory? Sound sound to you, Robert. That, that's that's a, a really fantastic point, uh, Lee, and it, it's uh, it's something that I always wondered. I, I actually wondered why Russia didn't kick him out even earlier than they did. Um, he's nothing but trouble, and uh, and he was actually born in Hungary, uh, so. They have, and you know, he had his universities there, and la de la de la, and uh, the tentacles of his organizations are just amazing, and they affect media, they affect uh, this educational system, they affect politicians, and there was even I wrote about this several years ago. Uh, they it was a secret pamphlet that that was made public. That showed over 200. Maybe it wasn't secret. I don't. I don't remember. Uh, but it was a, a pamphlet, and it showed over 200 uh, European parliamentarians who were loyal to George Soros. And he just actually came out and admitted it that that, that they'll you know basically do whatever he wants. Um, so yeah, this guy is really something. And you're right about that. That uh, you know wherever he tends to be uh, things you know, he gets, he gets the politicians into that he wants kind of like uh, with, with the same thing with the uh, world economic forum, the uh, Davos group with uh, Klaus, uh, Klaus Schwab. Uh, basically they own politicians, these, these individuals, and they kind of have the same world outlook, uh, this global globalized world. And uh, they get their, uh, their uh, protégés in there at a young age, and uh, yeah, they they can just turn a country, if, you know, and that's the danger. They they Russia sees what happened to these countries. Uh, they became you know they're they're now they're embracing all these crazy uh, ideas like transgenderism, uh, uh, white what is it uh, critical race theory, anti-white theory. Uh, even feminism, uh, feminism has been a disaster and there was never, although this was before Soros's time, I guess, but, uh, you know, Russia never needed to have something like feminism, communism, it's a different story, but, um, they never had to embrace something like that. So, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Soros has, has been a, a major, a major, uh, thorn in the side of many countries. And, uh, I think to be honest, if, if, if uh, the people were really given a choice, you know, you say how Vladimir Putin, the Russian people, or they love Putin. I, t to tell you the truth, it's not really Putin. It's it's his his message and what he what he supports. He supports uh, the family. He supports 
he has nothing again. You know, they, people think that oh, Russia is this uh, uh, place that uh, they throw they throw homosexuals, for example, into the gulag or send them off to Siberia. It's not true. They they have no problem. You know, you want to have that type of a lifestyle, no problem. What they really don't want is any sort of advertisement for that particular lifestyle aimed at the children. Okay. They don't want they don't want these parades on the streets, not not just for homosexuals, but, you know, any, you know, if you're heterosexual, why do you need to why do you need to broadcast it and all this other stuff? Uh, you know, live your life. And, and that's that's the way it should be. And that's I think most people could agree with that. You know, if you asked an American, if you didn't know that Putin supported this. And you said, what do you think of this uh, particular politician and his ideas? And I think they'd love it. Um, but, yeah, a lot of Americans have been brainwashed now by by this. Uh, I guess you could call it the Soros Soros uh, creed. <laughs> well, and and you you mentioned WEF, you mentioned Klaus Schwab and WEF, and really, they these networks, the Klaus Schwab network and the Soros network, the difference is Schwab's group, the WEF, is mainly for corporate stuff, for specifically business stuff, corporations, that's their client base, and the Soros stuff is NGO stuff, but they work off each other because when a corporation, Amazon, whoever, wants to sponsor something, it's undoubtedly has been organized by a source-affiliated group. Does that make sense? They have their their lanes, one corporate, one charities, publications, edu- education, white papers, but they overlap all over the place. Does that make sense, Robert? Yeah, I, I, w- I would agree with that, Lee. Absolutely. I think the one thing that does unite them is this uh, idea about a, a one world government uh, globalized system that they basically vanquish the, the nation, nation state. And uh, that's where countries like you mentioned, Hungary and Russia, for example, uh, they're, they want to hold on to their national identity. They want to keep their cultural values they want to keep their traditions they don't want everything to become globalized into one big mass where you have you know illegal migrants coming in here and other groups coming in there and then you can pit one group off of another like they do in the united states with such efficacy uh they don't want anything like that and gosh i can't blame them i'm 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 so grateful now that i'm living here and uh i know that i can send my kids off to school i don't have to worry that they're going to pump some kind of crazy you know transgender ID into their brains at the age of 10, uh, you know, things like that. So this whole, yeah, so it's a, it's basically a globalized, uh, group think that they're, that they're really pushing the, the, uh, Schwab's and the Soros's of the world and, uh, Russia and other countries, they, they find it to be extremely dangerous. And, and like I said, it's that more reality based judgment a lot of times you know, Mark Zaboda said, he pointed out, you you have gay people in Russia. In Moscow, people are openly walking down the street holding hands or whatever. But you don't have the crazy stuff that hardly anyone agrees with. Does that make sense, Robert, the stuff you're talking about? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything is kept. You know, I, I don't see how anybody could argue with that where, you know, you, 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 you agree. OK, you want to live your lifestyle. You want to do all these crazy things in your bedroom. Fine. Do them. OK, but please, let's not broadcast it on TV. Let's not let all the children know about it. Let's not teach about these things. 
at the elementary age. Uh, let's not talk about, uh, you know, let's not ask children uh, whether or not they might be actually a woman or a, a male at, you know, when they're in the elementary age. Uh, it's, it's absurd. It's crazy. But that's the way the Western world is heading. And Russia just wants no part of it. They, you know, talking about that particular aspect of, of uh, life, they just don't they don't want to join that. And you, I can't blame them. Yeah, because it, in a lot of ways, it's not working out the way they predicted. We talked about Joe Biden's been diagnosed with COVID. He's been vaccinated twice and boosted twice. And he's the president. He should be super immune man. But the things they've apparently told us about the way COVID works have been less than honest and less than realistic. That's what I've noticed anyway. Hey, Robert, one last question for you. Because uh, I know it's like there in Moscow and we appreciate you coming on with us so late. Uh, I understand that when the footage came out a few months ago of the Russian soldiers who've been taking captive by Ukraine, of the Ukrainian shoulders, soldiers shooting these Russians in the legs and groin and basically torturing them. And that and they took the Ukrainians not only tortured the Russian soldiers who turned themselves in, but they laughed about it and filmed it and released it. And I understand when that footage was seen by Russian civilians, it really was a turning point in the way a lot of people felt about the war. They got it. They got that the Russians are hated by the sector of Ukrainians. The, those Ukrainian Nazis hate and think that those Russians are subhuman. And they started to get it when they saw the way the Russian soldiers were, were treated. Do you think that's true, Robert? Was it an emotional turning point for this war? Well, it, it certainly had a, a huge impact. Uh, you know, here is Russia uh, taking prisoners of war and treating treating their prisoners extremely well uh, and everything. And then all of a sudden, these images, these horrific images appeared. And when I, you know, when I saw them, I just, I couldn't, I just couldn't believe it. It just goes against every, every aspect of war, uh, every every law that we've put down against such barbarities in war. And uh, I would say that it did, it did play a big part in changing. I mean, to what degree, I really don't know. I, uh, you know, there are some, some parts of the population, some segments of the population, they're never going to agree with, with, with what Russia is doing. Small segment, I would say. Um, but then you have another segment that they see something like that, and that's just like okay, and it it it, it does turn the switch, and they say okay, yes, these, these people, they really have some some deep hatred of Russians, and uh, and then you can also question the whole Nazi thing as well. Uh, to what degree has that affected their minds? So uh, yeah, it it definitely played a a, a large part in, uh, in 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 bringing up support more support for for uh, Russia's actions in Ukraine, definitely. And and so your sense from talking to people just on a day-to-day -day basis, there really is support for what Russia's doing in Ukraine, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, at the beginning, um, I was talking to some people, and I know these pe some of these people uh, I know, uh, Russians, 
they were, you know, liberals before, and uh, even some of them were very much against the war at the beginning. And uh, a few of them that I knew, and even these people over time, they started to understand. And, you know, once, because a lot of people aren't following the politics behind it, they don't remember certain things. They don't, they don't remember that, you know, Russia has been warning NATO for decades to stop advancing onto their, onto their border. You know, and they're questioning, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why are you now in the Baltics? Why are you now trying to get into Georgia? Why are you trying to get into Ukraine? Why did you lie, uh, post-Soviet period and say that you would not take one inch forward towards our borders, but now you're in Poland, uh, you name it, they're there. They're right on the right smack on the Russian border now. And now they want to get Finland involved in NATO. They want to get uh, Norway, not Norway, I'm sorry, Sweden uh, into, into the union. And uh, so this is just, you know, Russia sees this happening and it's not like Russia just woke up one day and said, okay, we, we, you know, this is a great day. We're going to attack our neighbor. I mean, this has been going on for many years. So once you remind Russians about this and you, you know, explain, hey, you know, what, what did Putin say at the Munich conference 15 years ago? He warned them. He asked them, why are you coming up on a board? So from, a, from a, you know, once the people understand the military aspect of it and what really needs to be done to protect your country, uh, you know, if you reverse the tables and you say the same thing, you know, what would, what would Americans do if you had this? Russian-led uh, military block right smack on Russia's uh, America's border. You know, you, you wanted to bring Mexico into it. You have Venezuela already in it. You ha- you want to bring all these other countries. What would America's response be? Uh, and then that kind of like shifts people's attitudes. You know, Russians' attitudes towards it and say, yeah, you know, this is true. You know, why why did we let them come so close to us? So you take that into account with uh, other things that have been happening. And you, you do notice that people's people's attitudes are changing and they realize that, you know, once they start listening to the experts and, the, you know, the experts have been on TV explaining it and, you know, talking about it from a strategic point of view that, you know, if 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 NATO advances any much any further, it's just going to make all of Russia's defenses redundant. Uh, the United States could launch their 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 missiles right from Ukraine Russia would not be able to have the time to respond, uh, and Russia might be able to and would probably take out a lot of Europe if such a thing would happen if they were attacked. But America, being where it is, Russia would have a hard time responding to to them, and you know but that could possibly America's long term goal. You know, thinking that okay, if there is a war, America will will be sitting pretty over here. Russia will be bogged down in a war with Ukraine, and eventually, you know, we'll take we'll take over the world. So um, you you explain it that way to the Russian people, and they 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 understand it quite quickly. They're very smart people, and uh, so yeah, they uh, I think right now a, an overwhelming majority of the people do support what's happening. I think one of the things that happens in the U.S. is you have groups like NATO, and they're right in between what we talked about the Soros group, the NGOs and uh, government organizations. So NATO is partially government and partially NGO-type stuff. They've got the Atlantic Council, and all those groups have spokesmen, and they have, you know, people who are executive directors. And what I'm saying is all of those are nice, cushy jobs for people like politics. 
if you like writing about politics, you can make pretty good money writing for NATO at the Atlantic Council. Does it make sense, Robert? That's a good job. Oh, yes. Yeah, working for those think tanks and, uh, uh, yeah, discussing different aspects of it and, and promoting. I think that would be the main thing is just promoting NATO's global image, world image of, of uh, the way they see the world. Uh, basically, it's propaganda. They want to pump, pump up this idea, promote this idea that Russia is this uh, terrible enemy that's threatening to take over Europe, when in reality, it's a total lie. Uh, so you get people who write those types of articles, and uh, yeah, I'm sure they get paid quite well because uh, you know billions of dollars hang on the line in terms of uh, uh, weapons sales and things like that. That you know, the more you increase this idea that there's this uh, great uh, power uh, that wants to destroy you, then um, yeah. Uh, it, it means more more sales and weapons, and uh, that's I think that's the bottom line here too, the, the the root cause for a lot of what we're seeing right now. And it seems like a lot of people with those nice jobs have an obvious incentive not to have the organization they work for shut down. They like keeping their nice jobs, and so I think in you if you look at what NATO's doing, for instance, adding Sweden. When I used to work in corporate marketing, when uh, we, you know, there are times I work for high-tech companies, and sometimes your company's product was not as good as the other company's product. And so what we would say in marketing is we need a press release upgrade. What that means is we, we can't invent new features. We're not engineers. More marketing people, so we can tell you about the features in a new way and call it an upgrade and make it seem like we're the latest and greatest. And it seems to me NATO has to do things if they're going to get Sweden in and Finland in to make it seem like it's in someone's advantage, but it just keeps NATO running. Do you have any explanation? for the bizarre and seemingly suicidal behavior of people like Zelensky with regard to Ukraine, because he's just losing territory. Why won't he do the right thing and lay down his arms? Robert, what do you think? Well, I, I would say that he's he's not, uh, he's definitely not the one making the decisions there. Uh, the United States has, they've had so much huge input in that place ever since Maidan in 2014. And even before that, they've been pumping billions of dollars in there. Uh, you mentioned the NGOs. They've been on the ground. They're the foot soldiers there. Even American politicians, uh, were on the ground. John McCain was there, uh, inciting the, the crowd. And they, they even go so far as to, to say who, who, and they, this is this has even been recorded. Victoria Newland has gone on. Uh, she's been she's been recorded talking about who they want to have as leaders. So and especially now with everything happening, you have such a weak leader like Zelensky. I mean, he comes across as this tough guy, but he's nobody, absolutely nobody when it comes to politics. He's a puppet. He's somebody that uh, they know that people can relate to. The the common, you know, the average Joe can look at him and say, "Oh yeah, this is you know, this poor guy is being beat up by the Russians." And he can speak their language. He's an actor. He knows how to act. Uh, so 
why why the, why is he doing it it's yeah, it's just because he has no choice and he doesn't really care either he's being paid the guys he has so much money that you know how could you make so much money being just an actor in ukraine so he's been paid quite a bit to be where he is to be a puppet to say nothing to do exactly what he's told and uh now you have ukraine is basically this conduit uh where they're the, the the country is being stockpiled with all kind of weapons. I mean, billions of dollars. All these, you know, NATO, I mean, NATO countries now they're complaining they don't have enough they don't have enough arms in their own arsenals now. Uh, America is talking about you know their what what do they call it the arsenal of democracy, <laughs> which is a total joke. Um, that you know they have to start they're, they're sending their javelin missiles and all this other equipment, sophisticated stuff, and that all has to be replaced. So uh, you have that aspect of it. Now they have this nice excuse to get more money uh, for their weapons. Uh, so that's that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is to, is to really try to just, um, I don't know, create another Afghanistan for, for Russia. You keep pumping in mercenaries. You keep sending in uh, uh, military aid. And uh, I th- that's it's not going to happen the way they think it will definitely, but you know, they, they, they probably think that they're, they're going to be able to drag Russia down with something like this. Uh, but it's, as uh, the world is starting to realize, it's, it's dragging down Europe, first of all. They, they, they're not going to have their gas supplies for the winter. Their, their economy is hurting, I think, much more so than Russia's through these sanctions. Uh, living standards have gone down. We're out of time. It's almost midnight there in Moscow. Great conversation. Robert Bridge, thanks so much for talking to us on The Backstory. For the second hour. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is the backstory. Welcome to the show that takes you to the truth behind the news. And uh, that was a great talk with Robert Bridge, don't you think, Rod? No, that was great. Uh, we haven't had Robert on in a while, and it was great to hear from him. Yes, yeah, and, and I, I like him, Robert. And also, I was trying to get a sense, because I really do think that. The United States, by lying to the people about Russia, they've started to believe their own BS about Russia. You know, John McCain's referred to as Russia basically as a, a gas station economy. And that's underestimating them. And I think the results of this conflict have there been some underestimating going on the whole time. Do you agree, Rod? Well, for sure, Lee, and if you look at uh, a lot of African nations or a number of African nations, they've turned to Russia for uh, exports of grain and uh, other commodities instead of uh, America. So it's, you know, over here we're kind of insulated as far as the media, but uh, around the world they've noticed that Russia's uh, kind of the way to go now. And we'll talk about some of this stuff with Jamal Thomas at the bottom of the hour here on The Backstory. Now, Command Central, tell me I'm reading this right. How long is the Putin speech clip? Okay, so it's a short clip. I couldn't tell my eyesight. Forgive me. 
let's play it now. I talked to Robert. I mentioned he's speak, speaking. This is the BRICS conference, right? Right, Rod? Yeah, but he, he did repeat the same, uh, pretty much the same thing uh, recently. So, But, yeah, this was BRICS, uh, July 12th, BRICS summit. And, and, and Putin's, again, you, you know, you said it. I think Putin has a very consistent message, and it's pretty clear to me what Putin's doing. And also, it's bigger than Ukraine. Putin is clear about what he's taking on. He's taking on an approach to the world. And I'll call that approach globalism. I'll call that approach imperialism, modern imperialism. Would you agree with that, Rod? Putin seems to know what he's up against. Yeah, and I think he's uh, he's definitely uh, advocating to the people around the world. Like I said, we're at the BRICS summit, and uh, these African nations are uh, aligning with Russia. Right, and I think it's very interesting Viktor Orban from Hungary is going to go over to Russia soon. I, I think some countries are going to decide there's two systems, even in finance, because Russia's uh, getting deals with countries like Iran to take the Russian credit card authorization system. Have you seen that? You know, they've got their own credit cards like Visa or, or MasterCard. And more, more, more and more countries around the world are using the Russian system. Maybe they, they, they don't. I, I know Orban's doing this. He's not quitting the Western, you know, U.S. and U.K.-led groups. He's not quitting them, but he's looking at joining BRICS. You know what Erdogan's doing, Rod? Right. It's not a. It's not a uh, monogamous relationship right now, Lee. Right. And that I think is is a smart move on Erdogan's part. He's waiting and see. He's hedging his bets, right? And Russia's not making anyone, well, if you're going to be part of BRICS, you've got to quit NATO, right? They're not, they don't have rules designed to keep the membership low. As long as you do whatever they say, they'll take you as a member. If you're independent, they don't want you, right? That seems to be the criteria, Rod. Am I missing something? Or is NATO's criteria slavery and servitude, right? <laughs> no, I'd agree with that. And so let's play this clip of what a little of what Vladimir Putin's saying this morning. And I wanted to have a long clip for you, for you to be able to hear it for yourself. Try to avoid interpretations, especially when Western media is talking about Putin. Their interpretations of what he said are always going to lead you in the wrong direction. Have you noticed that, Rod? They lie. They they can't even report accurately what Putin says, right? Yeah, Lee, I don't I don't want to hear a talking head on TV tell me what Putin said. I want to hear I want to hear from his mouth. And uh, obviously, if, if here in America has a, a translation in America and uh, English, I don't want to hear a talking head on TV tell me what he said. Yeah, so let's let's play this clip from this conference, the BRICS conference with Vladimir Putin and the voice of a translator. Hit it. 
rapid price increases for food, energy and commodities is having a serious socio-economic effect, especially on the development of countries in Asia, Africa, Latin America and the Middle East. Colleagues and friends, I would like to stress once again, this is not the result of the past few months and by no means a consequence of Russia's special military operation to protect Donbass. Once again, this jump in inflation did not happen yesterday. It has been happening over the past several years as a result of the long term, and I want to stress this, irresponsible macroeconomic policy of the G7 countries, uncontrolled money creation, and accumulated unsecured debts. This process was accelerated by the pandemic when both the supply and demand for goods and services drastically dropped on a global scale. The food market has been disrupted most severely. I said this at the recent St. Petersburg International Economic Forum, and I want to say it again, they printed money, distributed it in their wealthy countries and, like a vacuum cleaner, started scooping up all the food from the global market. Only recently, the United States was a food exporter, a net exporter, but now, I think, their imports are about 17 billion US dollar more than their exports. This is a dismal indicator for food markets around the world. Meanwhile, the soaring cost of essential agricultural commodities such as grain has hit the developing countries and markets the hardest as this is where bread and flour are vital for the survival of most of the population. And that certain Western countries are now showing by destabilizing the global production of agricultural products and dealing with this matter by restricting, for example, supplies of Russian and Belarusian fertilizers and impeding exports of Russian grain to world markets. Speaking of which, we are expecting a good harvest. God willing, everything will be fine, and, if we supply 37 million tons to the world market this year, we would most likely be able to supply 50 Now, did you hear Putin's message about the economy? He talked about the reason the Western countries are in trouble is because they printed money, a lot of it, and that now the U.S. is no longer an exporter of food but an importer of food. Rod, when you hear that, Vladimir Putin, that would... Tell me any person who's in favor of free market economics, like a Mark Frost, hasn't Mark been saying that on this show for months, that all the money printing is going to lead to a big inflation like they have in Europe and England and growing in America? Isn't that what Mark Frost has been saying for months, Rod? Yeah, I would uh, I would say more than months. I would say a year and some change, Lee. He's been saying that, and um, it's living out now. And unfortunately, here in America, we're suffering through it, and it's going to get worse. And like you said, uh, Putin is consistent. See, he said, you know, uh, in that BRICS summit, I said it in the St. Petersburg Economic Forum, and I think he just said it yesterday as well. So that's, you know, over two months he's been saying the same thing, and even before that. Yes. And as I say, he's pretty easy. It's easy to figure out what he wants. And, for instance, the goals in the military operation in Ukraine have changed somewhat. Because I don't think Putin really thought when he went went in. He had no desire to go in and be taking 20% of Ukraine as of now. 
That was not his goal. His goal was that the, the Donbass region be safe, peaceful, and prosperous. Do you agree with that? Uh, I think that was his original goal was not, as he said, to take the land and occupy it and not to make big portions of Ukraine part of Russia. I, I think that was not his original goal. But Ukraine and the West have made it impossible for there to be anything else. Because if you leave those, if you leave the NATO military in there, and Ukraine should just shown they'll keep bombing civilians, as they, they've been doing. And the media never covers that, the bombing of civilians. But very clearly, the Ukrainians are bombing civilians for the sake of bombing civilians with no military benefit whatsoever. Have you seen that rod over and over? Ukrainians, you've seen the footage of apartments bombed by Ukraine, right? Yeah, of course, Lee. And like you said, uh, you know, I'll get alerts on my phone. It'll say uh, Russians missiles hit, uh, you know, this town in Ukraine and, you know, this many civilians die. But as you and I know, anybody listens to the show and anybody who who was uh, clearly seen over the last couple months, you know, it's, it's all a lie. It's Ukraine itself, uh, the Ukrainian military in, uh, in Kiev uh, who are bombing its own citizens. Now, why don't you set up this next clip, Rod? What is this clip? I, I listened to it, but I wasn't 100% clear on what it is. Rod? Um, it, it was Dana Carvey. He was on Jimmy Kimmel, you know, doing, you know, just as like his act to stand up. And he's just uh, mocking uh, Joe Biden and pretty much how old he is and how he, he can't just keep a, a, a sane thought together in one sentence. Yes. And, and Dana, like, again, I have I've been to a couple of meals with Dana Carvey and I know him through his brother. And I'll, I'll tell you a story. Remember when Bush, George W. Bush was leaving office, he had a party for the White House staff and invited Dana Carvey to that. Do you remember hearing about that, Rod? Yeah, I think I've seen a clip of that, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And so I'll talk about that afterwards, because Dana told me some stuff about it that's very interesting. But, yeah, let's say this. But he's generally a fairly apolitical. You know, whatever that means in Hollywood. Now, hit it. But Biden came out as a really sleepy, sweet grandpa. And he was like, he's always repeating this story. You know, yeah, I went to Scranton. Scrant I grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania. <laughs> my dad, my dad lost his job. <laughs> no joke. I'm not kidding around here. No, no human being in the world thinks that's a joke. Nobody. Is anybody who <laughs> lost his job? Then he would do the number thing. Number one, the one part. Number two, what the guy said. Number three, you know the drill. Come on. No, we don't. Now what he does is he kind of whispers and then he yells. If you know, I think it's a wonderful move. Don't you love it? When he's like, we know how to get natural gas. Because we can get it. We know how to get it. That's what we do. We gave the people the public, the pirates of the Caribbean. So this is Dana Carvey doing Joe Biden. I detect a bit of Jimmy Stewart in his Joe Biden. If you've ever listened to Dana Carvey do Jimmy Stewart, 
you can find it easily on YouTube. Uh, but I'm I'm hearing his, his I'm not going to try to do it. But I'm hearing Jimmy Stewart in there somewhere. Do you hear a little bit, Rod? Yeah, I don't think he's really uh, perfected the Biden. You know, I think he was just uh, you know freestyling there. But I don't think he's really uh, perfected the Biden. Because uh, he knows he's imitate. not exactly allowed to. You notice the audience was somewhat tentative in their laughter. Like, are we supposed to laugh at this? Did you notice that a little bit, Rod? Right, yeah, 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 exactly, Lee. Let's go 202-521-1320. Owl Killer has been patiently waiting. Owl Killer. When was that uh, Putin clip from that you just played? The last 24 hours. No, no, it was July 12th. That was July 12th. Okay, so... It's very, it's, uh, you know, just, it's just good timing that you played that clip. So Robert Barnes, who I'm not a fan of, but he's on the right side of this issue, uh, with Russia. Um, and he, you know, he's, he's pretty, he breaks it down historically. He was on Alex Jones, um, two days ago. He, he was quoting, uh, paraphrasing a Putin speech when he was an economics major, like after the Soviet Union had fallen and before he got into politics where he said that fiat money is nothing, and the only thing that matters is food and resources, meaning oil, you know, natural resources like that. So I, that is, I mean, and you talk about why the Western leaders, they don't like to play speeches of Putin, because I think they're scared that they're say, wait, this guy's really not a monster. He makes sense. This is exactly what we want. And the obviously the banking system is coming to an end. There, there, there's no more. You raise interest rates, the market's going to crash, and people are not going to be able to pay, pay the debt. You keep it low, the interest, the uh, inflation is just going to keep going. And it's always boggled my mind why. And I'm all for a gold or a silver standard, but for some reason, like the Austrian uh, economists, they are they don't want to touch like commodities like oil or food, like putting competing currencies in, um, you know, commodities that people desire. So your money is actually, it, no, it's not gold or silver, but backed by other stuff that people want and let them compete with each other. Um, and I, for, if you're an African country, I saw what we did to Kenya when we refused to, because we basically don't let them industrialize. And then unless they carry out, you know, unless they, promote gay marriage and transgenderism. And I, I, I remember when Hillary Clinton went to Kenya and the Kenyan president, and she was talking about how um, she, they wanted Kenya to promote uh, homosexual marriage and, um, you know, gay rights. And the prime minister stops her in her tracks and says, hey, that's not our culture. And we stopped giving them financial aid. And what happened, China came in and lent them, they actually lent them money. And now they could not pay back, they couldn't pay back the loan to now China owns the port in Kenya for 99 years. If you're an African country, would you rather do business like that? Or would you rather do business with a country like Russia that is going to, it's like a, it's a mutual, it's a mutual beneficial uh, relationship. And Turkey is, I think Turkey is the sleeper. And like you guys were just saying, I think Turkey is going to be a major factor in uh, BRICS. For, for the reason being that Turkey's lira, every time they don't do what we want, we, we 
destroy their economy. And the weaponizing of the Western banking system is why people are don't want, they're looking for an alternative. And I, I, I think that BRICS is going to offer it to a lot of countries, and maybe it's for the better. Like I was saying a few months ago, that maybe it's better that there is two different competing uh, world economies where it, we can avoid war, because the weaponizing of the banking system is what is leading us into these situations. Well, Al Keller, great point. And also, you know, what bothers countries, I, I'm sure, about the U.S. finger-wagging, about stuff like gay marriage, for instance. We're recalling that of African countries. But I'm sure if one of representatives were going into whoever gives out the money in the U.S., they might say, hey, we just noticed in the waiting room uh, Saudi Arabia is sitting out there. And don't they kill people because right. they're gay? Don't they kill people? And our obvious hypocrisy on that is obvious to the countries that we do business with. Do you agree, Alcala? Oh, a hundred, a hundred percent. And it's you, it's so it's so crazy. Like we we drop peace bombs, and you know Russia, Russia drops bombs that kill people. It, it's we're going to give you freedom and democracy if if you don't do what we say. We're really going to free you. It, it's com- it's complete hypocrisy. Uh, one quick point I wanted to, or a question I wanted to see. One other thing Robert Barnes said was that basically Trump and DeSantis are going to be on the same ticket and with uh, DeSantis as the VP and knowing that Trump only has one uh, term left and he was going to hand basically the selling point was going to be DeSantis would handle domestic policy and Trump would handle foreign policy. Um, he sounded like it was a it was a like it's a done deal, like everybody, everybody in the know knows. And I wanted to get your take on that. Well, my take is he's just guessing. He's guessing, and it's not a hard guess. You know, uh, uh, it's not an out-of-the-box guess. It's predictable that a lot of people are talking about Trump DeSantis. I, my question is whether Trump's ego will be able to handle a guy who a lot of people— the thing about Mike Pence is Donald Trump can be confident that no one's going to say— no one among his fan base was going to say, I almost want Pence for president. Does that make sense? I will kill No one wanted Pence instead. But with Trump DeSantis, a lot of people are going to go, going to go I'd like to see DeSantis in the lead. And Trump won't be able to handle that. There's no way. So that's why I doubt it at the end of the day. But uh, great call, Owl Killer. Let's risk, because it's very hot there, going to Millie in Texas. Are you scorching, Millie? Are you melting? Yes, I have chickens in my garage right now. <laughs> I believe it. It's, it's really, is it 100 where you are? It is, uh, yeah, it's 100 degrees. There you go. So thanks. What were we calling about, Millie? Well, we're not exactly sure what the Integrity Initiative is just yet and who is participating. So let's say, for instance, I'm calling into your uh, show, and it's giving me a phone call automation prompt that says this call basically is not valid and to check the number again. And I tried that multiple times to call you guys, but it failed, and eventually I get a hold of you, 
But, again, we're not exactly sure who's participating in the Integrity Initiative. And when you look at things like war versus virus, um, it could be that there's more of a casualty even in, you know, censorship of a virus than there is in a war. So we really need to look at who are the controllers of the information in order to understand what's going on in the world, regardless if it's a COVID-19 response or if it's a war um, I think it's important to look at these things and, and say who's in control of it. And, yes, uh, previous caller is absolutely right. We've got a little bit of control in the GOP on who they would actually uh, select as a candidate, voted on uh, who, who's actually wanting them for uh, president. So let's say we want Thomas Massey. Well, GOP is not necessarily going to take them in, and, you know, maybe that's our pick, but the political parties are so tight that we can't get public opinion in at this point. And, uh, you know, that's a problem, too. Well, Millie, stay on the line. Do me a favor. Stay on the line. Rod, you getting ready? You there? I'm going to ask you a question, Rod. Yeah, man. Okay. So, Millie, stay on the line, please. And you may want to quit and hang up in a second. But trust me, it's not what you think. Rod, we haven't talked about this yet. Let's talk about Cox in Maryland. Millie, you still there? Okay, don't be shocked. I'm uh, sorry to possibly offend your delicate sensibilities, but you know who I'm talking about. You know the Cox in Maryland, right, Rod? Is that the uh, governor, the governor race going on? Dan Cox, yes. I don't know what you were thinking, Millie, but it's wrong. So Dan Cox is the guy. They had a primary election yesterday in Maryland, and Cox was backed by Trump. Trump said, Maryland, you need Cox. Follow me? So he did that, and Dan Cox won. Now, he's a Tea Party. He rented a bus to go down to January 6th from Maryland. So now Larry Hogan, the current Republican governor, came out and said, I'm not supporting Cox. He's the nominee, but I, a Republican governor, will not support him. Did you hear that, Rod? Yeah, I did hear that. I did hear that. Now, Millie, I think that's a perfect example of what anyone would call rhino Republicans. They literally won't support the candidate of the party. So do you see that with Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzer being on the January 6th committee? How do you view them, Millie? Um, I have a comment about that one because I feel like this J6 committee turned into like J81 million because everybody sitting back seeing this problems and they were not addressed, that a lot of the voters wanted these uh, voter state issues addressed. They would not be because certain people were controlling the amount of information. So we're not, again, we're not sure who that is. That could be the GOP for all we know. We know that there is a certain entity that's funding the misinformation. So we had tons of data collected as live viewers during the actual election to see that it was uh, Twitter that was announcing the election wins, and they were piggybacking off of AP that first announced it. This is before any state official had publicly announced any win. So when you talk about election integrity, again, if we're if our voices are ignored— and we are not able to select leaders that we feel like can address these issues. Obviously, we have no support for the GOP 
because they're selecting their own candidates of censorship. And this is obviously a two-party problem, regardless if it's U.K. or uh, Australia or Canada or the United States. All of these countries feel the same uh, political pressure from some sort of censorship program that's, that's occurring. And, uh, you know, obviously it needs to stop. Well, let me ask you one question. We're out of time, Melanie, but I know I, because Melanie and I know each other uh, a little bit off the show as well. We've talked and I know you're a great researcher. So let me ask you a broad question that's going to come up in my interview with Jamal. When you find something that there's a cover up on, does the cover up sometimes show up first? In other words, does the cover up sometimes indicate a crime has been taking place in government activities where you see that do you make sense where you see the government covering up something and then you go well what are they covering up like ray epps millie what do you think about that from your research it's very clear to me that the public versus if you watch cnn msnbc fox news it doesn't matter if there's a script behind the screen that's saying this is what you're allowed to tell, then obviously that script is going to be repeated. Yes, I see the script being repeated as a cover-up, as a preemptive strike for what the public will already know will be a response to that action. And again, it doesn't matter if it's a war or if it's a COVID-19 response. We see the same players and the same faces on board, especially Bill Browder, because Nina Zankowicz, she's supposed to be part of this disinformation campaign. It's obviously a part of the Integrity Initiative's partnership with the European, um, you know, foreign councils and nonprofits and such. Uh, but, you know, it, it gets to the point where everybody has to sway away from these media uh, populations that they control, like Twitter and Facebook, and get off of that platform to discuss what the real problem is. And that's what's happening these people cannot control the information fast enough as it's being distributed amongst free people with free will and a free conversation under a constitutional right. Well, great call, Melanie. And when we come back, I'm going to be talking to Jamal Thomas from Fault Lines in the morning here on Radio Sputnik. And I'm going to ask you, Jamal, to apply that level of analysis and thought to the UFOs around the subject of, forgive me, the cover-up around the subject of UFOs. Because UFOs have clearly been covered up by the government. And if a cover-up indicates something's going on, what he thinks is indicated by that. Jamal Thomas, coming up after this break on The Backstory. back on the backstory and on the radio on 105.5 FM AM 1390 in Washington DC joining us now the hosts of fall lines heard every morning Monday through Friday right here on Radio Sputnik Jamal Thomas hey Jamal how you doing I'm doing okay what's going on man you doing all right not much I'm doing okay so uh uh 
I don't know if you heard the setup, I, what I threatened to ask you about. But I was thinking about this because I was like talking UFO stuff with you, Jamal, because you know a lot about it. And you like talking about it too, right? Yes, absolutely. Love talking about it. They say I'm a younger man when I talk about UFOs. Do you still use UFO or is that term politically incorrect now? Well, they so they use UAP, unidentified aerial phenomena, because they want to break the cognitive association with UFOs. Like everybody got so accustomed to it. So everybody has these kind of um, value sets that they place on or their, you know, their subjective understandings of the word. So they wanted to break those associations. I still call it UFO because at the end of the day, what they're talking about are UFOs. That's all. I mean, you can make a case that the UAP is more accurate, unidentified aerial phenomena. But the catch is some of those things are in the water. Like I have undersea phenomena at this point, um, outer space phenomena. Um, and even in the Congressional in the National Defense Authorization Act, they specify like undersea stuff right here. This is um, in the NDAA that they're just releasing, that the House just um, that passed out of the committee and this, the House is voting on. It says for the past uh, for the period beginning January 1st, 1947, and ending on the date in which the Comptroller General completes activities under the subsection compiled and itemized a complete historical record of intelligence communities' involvement with unidentified aerial undersea phenomena, including successfully or unsuccessful efforts to identify and track unidentified aerospace or undersea phenomena, efforts to recover or transfer related technologies to the United States space industry or national laboratories, and intelligence efforts to obfuscate, manipulate public opinion, hide or otherwise provide unclassified or classified misinformation about unidentified aerial or sea phenomena or related activities. So basically, they're putting in the National Defense Authorization Act, we want to go all the way back to 1947, and we want to know what you got material-wise, what you've done in regards to trying to you know learn what this is, and we want to know any efforts to basically deceive the American public. Did you lie to the American public about the involvement of the U.S. government with UFOs and what they were basically studying and learning? Now, the interesting catch here is if the answer is yes, then what? Meaning, are you going to prosecute people who basically lied, let's say, the 40s, 50s, or 60s in pursuit of the UFO subject matter? Oh, that's fascinating. I mean, because we don't even know if the subject matter is being managed in some way. Let's say, if the, like, by executive order or something to that effect, where the president gets a briefing, the president gives the order to maintain the order. We have no idea what's going on behind the scenes on this specific issue. But the fact that Congress seems to be getting much more involved and Congress is pushing, look, we want more information, we want more data, we want et cetera, et cetera. It is super interesting. It is super interesting. Like the DOD is what? This is under the auspices of the Department of Defense, but Congress is getting involved. Maybe this is occurring to me because Vladimir Zelensky in Ukraine recently fired the head of the SPU and his prosecutor general and is fired a whole bunch of people. But maybe that's why it occurred to me. But it occurs to me that if the U.S. government was hiding stuff about UFOs is because they thought there was a military use and that someone could be the first person, get this, to be accused of intergalactic treason. You see what I'm saying, Rod? I mean, Jamal, sorry about that. Yeah, I do see what you mean. No, no, you're fine. That basically, if they have materials, they're trying to milk those materials for everything they can get out those materials. Um, you know, whatever it is. And then there's this, but there's this interesting question of if 
if, for example, if you had a nuclear sub that was dumped back in the 1540s, all the money in the world, you may not even be able to turn the lights on. And that's the rub. Like, if you don't even know the mechanism of action, if you don't necessarily know the materials, you may not, meaning that sub, if you don't have the nuclear power and understand the nuclear power, I think it's just paperweight. And so it could be something like that. I strongly suspect, though, if they have their hands on anything, they're going to be studying it for everything that they're worth. But again, this is technology supposedly developed elsewhere. And so what that looks like, how that works, I would imagine they're going to have their work cut out for them. But I agree with you. I totally agree with you. Whoever is working on it, there will be a weapons application that is going to be built into the process. It has to be. I have a hard time believing that it wouldn't be. thousand percent agree. I mean, it's not just the U.S. who's studying this, by the way. I mean, Brazil just had a UFO briefing where they had various people from around the world basically give their testimony. Uh, France and Russia are basically looking into this particular issue. Um, what France released, not France, um, China and Russia. France, if I'm not mistaken, released the government files years ago, and so did Britain. And so it's not just us. It's always been interesting that the U.S. has been a point person on the UFO subject matter, even though we know the Soviet Union has had their own encounters and everything else. So we'll see. I, I don't quite know what this looks like yet. I mean, the office has been developed by the Pentagon. Congress is breathing down their necks trying to get more and more data. Well, I just got to say that the timing on the government talking about this stuff only now is could not be more perfect because – Never have people around the world felt more unstable and like something weird's going on than today. I think that's fair to say, Rod. If you've been following, of course you have, what's happened in Sri Lanka and Estonia and the Netherlands and even Germany based on the Holland, the stuff with the farmers. What do you make of that, Rod, the state of the world? Jamal, Jamal. Jamal, sorry about oh, that. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I thought Rob was on the other end where I'm he was. So I'm, focused, sorry. I'm, like, oh. I'm so focused on. No. on so I, yeah, go ahead. No, you're perfectly fine. No, the state of the world thing is fascinating, right? I mean, we have this weird situation in the world where there seems to be this kind of new geopolitical arrangement. It's almost like the pieces being moved in a certain way. The West has jumped the shark and it's gotten itself into a crisis. It crosses party lines. Oops, we lost Jamal, uh, but but we'll get him back online. Tell tell me when he's back. But Rod, this time I got, I met Rod. How you doing? I'm here. I'm here, Lee. <laughs> now, how weird is it? Just the timing of the public discussion of UFOs by the government happening at I think. Is this the weirdest time you've ever experienced in your life politically anyway? The weirdest period? Oh, yeah, 100%, Lee. I think, you know, the line, the quote, what a time to be alive is just living itself out every day. You know, things get stranger and stranger, and it just adds to people's confusion of what's going on in the world, let alone America. Yes. And uh, Al Kohler talked about Robert Barnes. And Robert and Mixon, because— I don't like him, and he lied about Alex Jones to me uh, and an attempt to hurt me. And I know where he comes down on some issues, and I agree with him on most. I agree with Barnes on a lot of stuff. He's somewhat like Bannon. Whenever I hear Bannon speak, 
I like Steve Bannon again. Then I go, oh, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? I remember other stuff I know about Bannon. But when you hear, and we'll go back to Jamal's online, but when you hear Rod, Rod, when you hear Steve Bannon, do you like him sort of when you hear him speak? Uh, yeah, you know, um, like when he when he had his uh, his little speech in front of the in front of the cameras and microphones in front of the deal um, over there on three three three. You know, I liked what he had to say, and he was talking about the cowards on the January sixth committee. But like you said, you, then when you really think about it and who he is and what he represents, it's just kind of like, oh yeah, you know, this guy's not a, not a good character. Right, and Jamal Jamal's back. Uh, we were talking about that earlier with Robert Bridge, and. Uh, I think a lot of people at the, the reason things are so weird for people is there's a lack of leadership that you can trust. I think it's very hard to tell who you can trust. And even among your progressive, right? Since your shows, the progressive soapbox, right? And as a progressive, I, I identified, I would say someone like Rachel Maddow is an establishment progressive. And Van Jones is an establishment progressive. They're progressive, but they're on a leash because they make a lot of money from the mainstream media. Would you agree with that, Broadly? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I remember, do you remember Crystal Ball? She used to be on MSNBC. Yes, of course. And Crystal Ball makes this recounts when she did a video on, I think it was Hillary Clinton. And she got a call basically say, hey, we're going to put this minder just to you know check anything before you put out. Basically... They were putting a leash on her. Um, same thing with Ed Schultz. Well, Ed Schultz got fired from MSNBC because they didn't want him to cover Bernie Sanders. Even Jenk Uger, again, he gets the message. He's going after certain Congress members. He gets the message basically called in office and saying, stop doing that, that you're pissing people off when you do that. So, yeah, these guys are basically on a leash. I mean, you could be a lefty, but you're going to be a lefty. But so far, I mean, look at the Ukraine issue. All of these guys have taken one very specific tactic on Ukraine. It's like, are you telling me there's no deviation? There's nobody in 300 million people that just have to be a journalist that disagree with this, what's going on in regards to the way the U.S. has been talking about it? No, I agree with you. I mean, all things being equal, you have people who are on a leash at the various networks when they're recounting an issue. Thousand percent, yes. Then there are what I would call indie progressives. And by indie, really, what I mean is they're not funded. They don't have a big, cushy job. Trust me, we know what Maddow makes. She's making mad bank. That's fair to say, right? She's making unbelievable amounts of money. Oh, she's doing very well. Yeah. She's doing very well. Maddow's and having no issues. I'm yep. sure Van Jones is making good money. As opposed to oh, yes. guys like Greenwald and Matt Taibbi. At one point, they may have had a good job, but they're making a lot. They've sacrificed in income by being independent, more independent and still progressive. And Matt Taibbi, uh, Greenwald, Max Blumenthal, Jimmy Dore, guys like that. Do you agree about those guys I'm categorizing as indie progressives, Jamal? Yep, they're independent they, they vary on their progressiveness. I mean, it just kind of depends on the person. But yeah, they're definitely independent actors in this. Definitely independent. Um, because, you know, Dora, Dora used to work with 2IT, then he developed his own um, show and brand and everything else. Glenn Greenwald has been always awesome. Taibi, always awesome. 
Well, those guys have always been on point. So, no, I agree with you on that. It's this difference between what do people behave like when they're in a corporate structure and they're basically um, accruing around a certain workable point of view versus what do they look like when they're not. And, yeah, Glenn Greenwald has been pretty consistent. Um, so has um, Tavi. Tavi has done good work for like a decade or more, if I remember correctly. And the reason I wanted to bring it up is that that general group of people, for people on the right who might not follow this stuff closely, Dorr is, I would say, one of the top tier people. And he's now talking about running for president. Door 24. Is he? Yes, he is. And is I, he? You think he's I, serious about it? I, I think he is partially serious about it because, and I think it's a good move. Because he's one of those progressives who's very critical of people for selling out to the Democratic Party. There are a lot of Democrats who are skeptical about people who they see as selling out to the Democrats. And they feel like even the squad has sold out to the Democrats. And they say basically, don't count on anything progressive from people associated with the Democrats. Have you heard that argument, Jamal? I've heard the argument, but I don't entirely buy the argument. I yeah, mean, talk- I believe in backing. Well, yeah, I believe in backing up individual candidates. Like, but you may have an individual candidate that actually does good work, but the Democratic Party may still be trash. And so you can make a case of saying, well, if that person is part of the Democratic Party, that regardless of what that person wants, regardless of how good that person is, that person could shine um, in the light of summer. They're still working with a party that is radically corrupt and it's going to prevent them from getting anything accomplished in any real terms. And that argument is hard to beat, right? I mean, because on some level, it's true. I mean, the Democratic Party at this point is a corporate party. I don't even think the public sees them as a party of the working class anymore at all. And so if you're looking at, let's say, Medicare for all, I give you a perfect one. $15 an hour minimum wage. $15 an hour minimum wage. Joe Biden, if you remember, during the campaign trail, because saying these guys are heroes, these heroes – and these heroes are at work getting starvation wage. And the reason and the argument was basically many of you people who are making relatively good money at the jobs, you can work from home. Your companies will let you work from home. But there's certain people where we need to work the factories, we need to work stores, we need those people basically out there in the public taking a hit for everybody else. Those people are heroes. And those people are making a starvation wage. Now, what happens when Joe Biden gets in office? He still talks about it, but then he gets the parliamentarian blames the parliamentarian instead of just firing the parliamentarian. Joe Manchin is like, well, yeah, I'm not going to vote on legislation. And the squad, who had enough members at that point to force the president to make a choice, meaning is the president going to back to $15 an hour in the way that he said, you know, starvation wage heroes, all that good stuff? Or is the president going to vote with Joe Manchin to kill his own agenda and make sure that those 15-year-olds or those um, people – don't get the $15 an hour minimum wage. Which one is the president going to do? Instead of trying to force him to do that, they backed away. They allow Manchin to get his way. When the reality of it is, it's the president, it's Nancy Pelosi, it's um, Chuck Drew. All of these guys basically were for it. And yet, they couldn't bring themselves to take the political acts, meaning the powers that they were basically given in order to prevent them from passing legislation without the $15 an hour being there. It's aggravated. It's extremely aggravated. And what, what I appreciate that's about that was Jimmy cl- Dore is that Jimmy Dore decided to do something beyond just talking about it. He took – well, who, the question is who do you vote for? Jimmy Dore can now say me. And I, believe, <laughs> I be, really believe he'll be, – and I'm, I'm just being objective about it, not saying 
I agree with the progressive agenda, but I think he'll be able to present an unabashed progressive agenda. And I'll tell you what else, because he's, he's a comedian, he can work a crowd. Do you know what I'm saying? He will be able to raise a crowd, well, definitely work a crowd. and entertain them. And here's what Jimmy Dore will be able to do. Jimmy Dore has enough of a name where if he does it, he'll be a factor in swaying the election. He could cause Joe Biden to lose, which is what um, the Dem- Democrats are going to be worried about him. If he was, if picture this, Trump, Biden, Jimmy Dore's an independent. I think Jimmy Dore could have a, a Ross Perot factor. I don't think, I'm highly skeptical of that. I mean, it depends on whether Dore is actually going to run. Um, but, I mean, we've had people who had the ability to bring, let's say, a fudge factor into the race. I mean, people were well known. I mean, Jimmy Dore is just known on Twitter or, or YouTube, per se, maybe in California. I mean, he would have to ingratiate himself to a large part of the United States. And there are things that Jimmy Dore has said um, in some of those videos that is not going to go over all that well. But we'll see. You could be right. I could be wrong. Well, well, I'm just highly well, skeptical of that. Let me just ask you, when you say not going to go over well, with who? Which audience will it not go over well, well with? The market, the market public itself is going to, meaning if Jimmy Dore is going to run, everything that Jimmy Dore has ever said, everything that Jimmy Dore has ever come up with, especially if he's going to be a threat, is now going to be basically brought up and dropped before the American public. Now, we saw what that did to, what's his name? The, the guy, the handicapped guy. Um, that was talking about the orgies and the drugs that he was being basically being offered. That stuff bites into your voting electorate. I mean, you need those people to basically get for you. It is hard for a comedian, or for that matter, somebody who does YouTube, in order to ascend to office like that. Because you talk so much trash. The things that you say, the aggression and everything else, they will play clip after clip after clip of him looking like a maniac, saying out there stuff. And I'm saying this to somebody who likes Dora. So this is not like somebody who dislikes him and is trying to put it out. It's not that. But I think... He could appeal to people who side with the Democrats on issues like the economy and abortion, let's say, who have where do they have yeah. to go now. Right now, if they have a choice between Biden and Dore, Dore saying outrageous stuff, it may have the effect. Remember on Trump when they tried to launch attacks and go, oh, we found this video of Trump saying this and oh, <laughs> and all liberals in the media. They were like, this is going to end Trump's career. But they found out that Trump's audience liked it. You see what I'm saying? A lot yeah, of Trump stuff, audience, it, Yeah, Trump's it, audience didn't care. Right. Uh, probably part of the reason you like Dor is he, he says stuff that's outrageous sometimes, right? Well, he does com- comedy at like, um, like in public form. Like, so he would have people basically come into the comedy act and watch them guys do comedy act. He also does the YouTube channel. I don't know what else he does, but I do know he does like traveling and stuff like that. I'm across the country. He's the funny guy. I mean, there's nothing wrong with skill. And like I said, if he wants to run for office in earnest and he's actually running for office, God bless him. Um, he may be able to pull some of those people, especially hardcore lefties that are heavy into the political space. He may be able to pull those people. But again, it's the rest of the country. That's the issue. And Jimmy Dore, you may be well-known in the context of lefties, but I don't necessarily know how the name recognition pops outside of that very specific subsection. But like I said, I could be wrong. 
I, I also like what he's doing because having worked on political campaigns, I'll tell you something. I've done PR work on political campaigns before, and I've done coaching with candidates who are going to go into the debate. And I've had great lines where I knew that if they said this line, they'd make a huge amount of headlines, but they were unabashed attacks on their opponent. And at the end of the day, they were the one who was going to have to say it. And they didn't want to say something mean about their opponent. Does it make sense, Jamal? <laughs> it does make sense. Of course they didn't want to have to say something mean about their opponent. Well, I mean, it's part and, of the job, though, right? Well, it is, but here's the way they thought. And I really think a lot of politicians think this way. They think, I live here. I'm going to see this guy at Republican dinners for the next 20 years. And if I say something vicious, you see what I'm saying? I'm going to be see this guy mm-hmm. for the next 20 years, and I'm going to have an uncomfortable chicken dinner at this political event. <laughs> so they don't say something mean. And, and I actually admire politicians who are willing to put themselves out there. Because I'll tell you who else sometimes says stuff. Think about this. Your wife. You go home. How I do the debate, dear? Well, I. what? What went wrong? I didn't think you should have said it about him. Can you picture that conversation? Oh, really? Your wife said that? Oh, man, that's a rough one. It's spouses, like, oh, you treated him so mean. Or you were right. mean to so-and-so. And you can see where spouses would say that. Oh, Gladys, yeah. in my flower club, said you shouldn't have been mean to him, dear. <laughs> and that really does affect so the fact that Dor's willing to put himself out there. I also think Door 24 is catchy. Admit that, Jamal. Door 24 is catchy. Yeah. <laughs> that is catchy, Door 24. Yeah, Door 24. Yeah, because we'll see. We'll see. I mean, seems, you know, he's going to have to rev up a campaign. Yes, and do you like the idea? I think one thing Dor has expressed frustration with Bernie. I think a lot of people want a guy with ideas like Bernie, but testicles like Jimmy Dore. You follow me? I would say testicles like Trump. I would what, say ideas like Sanders, testicles like Trump. Right. Testicles like Trump. Right. Because the fact of the matter is, Donald Trump got on that stage and was willing to leave bodies in order to get into the race, meaning in order to win it. And if that, he went through 12 other Republicans in this kind of cutthroat blood sport fashion. In order, I mean, he called Ted Cruz everything but a child of God, said his dad helped come kill murder Kennedy, talked to him, called his wife ugly. And yet, at the end of the campaign, there's a video of Ted Cruz sitting below a Trump pin sign after swearing that he wasn't going to support him. Like, Trump had an ability to basically let it fall off his shoulders and was willing to basically go a particular path regardless of hell and hell water. Well, Sanders has great ideas, but he doesn't have that instinct of being willing to put a knife in somebody, even though, and because of that, he ends up getting a knife put in him. I mean, it's, it's appalling. It's aggravating. Like people, people love Sanders. Don't misunderstand me. But part of the thing that they greatly dislike about him is you're a politician, but you're unwilling to basically leave a trail of bodies in a political sense behind you in order to get your ideas over the finish line. It's aggravating. It's so aggravating. It's his worst trait. Easily Sanders' worst trait. 
And I think that Doors advantage, maybe no one steps into that space. If someone like Dennis Kucinich, I'm just pulling a name out of hat. If someone like Dennis Kucinich want to step up and be that progressive, he'd have the target on his back. And then Door might seem like, a, at best, a number two choice. But since no one's stepping up who's a serious pol politician, and I include Kucinich as because he is, He's a serious politician. Mm -hmm. And when no one like that stepping up, maybe Dor is the best option. What do you think about that, Jamal? I mean, I'm Dor wouldn't get my vote. Just to be bluntly honest. I don't know and he knows what he may know and what he may not know about the political space is a mystery to me. I have no idea. Um I will probably not be voting at all in any situation coming up. In the next election, because I got to be honest, I don't see anybody viable to vote for one way or the other. Um, and I don't see any way out for this country. I mean, for God's sake, at this point, neither side is accepting the results of the election. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but great conversation with you. Talk to you later, buddy. Great conversation. Jamal Thomas, he hosts Fault Lines here in Radio Sputnik. Also, thanks very much to all of our callers. And thanks very much to Robert Bridge from Moscow. We'll be back tomorrow on the backstory.